Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and we're doing something in this episode that we haven't done before in over 100 episodes. I'm excited to say we're still experimenting. So uh, if you don't like it, come back because <laughs> we've got a bunch of other episodes that you might like. And if you do like it, uh, stick around. Maybe we'll do it again. And now I was given permission to publish audio from a book that I've loved uh, for this podcast episode. So you'll get why I asked for it soon enough. Now we've had Todd Bolsinger on the podcast twice, but that equaled three total episodes. So we had two for transformational leadership. Those are episode uh, 52 and 53. And then we had him again on episode 81 for tempered resilience. So transformational leadership, tempered resilience. If you're searching on our site, you'll find those. Uh, Todd's a goldmine of valuable content. And today is featuring the introduction from his book, Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. Now, I have had more pressure in my professional life in the last two years than ever before, most of it coming from change taking place. I personally have a sales team of 13 that reports to me directly at CCB Technology, and our team's responsible for about $35, $36 million in revenue, regardless of COVID or shipping or stock issues or the great resignation or whatever's going on with employees leaving. I have a number to hit. Our team has a number to hit, and it's stressful. You have stress too. As a parent, as an employee, as a business leader, as an owner, you've got stress. Now, stress doesn't have to be bad, but it could be. Enter Todd's book, which focuses on the forge and the art of blacksmithing. Stress is an essential part in taking a piece of raw steel and turning it into something useful. Uh, Too much stress and the tool will look strong, but be brittle right underneath the surface. Too little heat and you'll be using much more force to get that metal to take shape. And it'll, it'll ultimately fail under pressure as well. So the analogies, as you can see, correspond to our lives as leaders. Let's jump into it, though. Here's the intro to Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. I hope this speaks to you directly as a leader. Enjoy. Introduction. The Smith's Forge. They had become so focused on the aches and pains in the system that they had been thrown off course by the complaints. They had stopped supplying vision or had burned out fighting the resistance. They had ceased to be the strength in the system. In short, they had forgotten to lead. Edwin Friedman The question I find myself asking is not, can I learn the skills I need to lead change, but rather, can I survive it? The senior pastor of a large church spoke these words to me in a whisper. But I had become accustomed to hearing similar thoughts from leaders in different organizations and in vastly different contexts. In fact, these words repeated over and over again inspired everything you are about to hear. But let me start in two places that are a world and 25 years apart. In 1992, my wife and I traveled to Prague, Czech Republic. One day, near the end of our trip, Beth and I walked through Staromethsky Nemisti, a large central square. There in the middle of the square were two artisans who were drawing a sizable crowd to watch them ply their craft. They took pieces of scrap iron, discards, and by first heating them until they were soft and pliable, 
and then held securely on the anvil, they were pummeled and pounded into a new shape. The process repeated. Fire, steel, sweat. Heating, holding, forming. Placed, pounded, and finally plunged into water. I watched those artisans, so physical, so purposeful, so violent with hammer and inferno, so precise and exacting. They seemed a living icon of God, for we are the raw material, scraps of hardened, resisting steel. And they, the craftsmen, are so like God in precision and purpose, using the heat of challenges, the anvil of community, and the hammer of practices to transform us from raw material into something useful and beautiful. Fast forward 25 years and travel from Prague to Los Angeles. Adams Forge is a blacksmithing community in an industrial neighborhood on the north side of the city. It is a place where urban dwellers can leave their cell phones in the glove compartment for a couple of hours and learn the art of transforming rods of steel into tools that can be used. What was once raw material becomes, under the hand of the smith and through the heat of the forge, a new creation that is both pure and mixed, with a new purpose, but with nothing lost of its original makeup. Through an age-old process from a previous century, we find a glimpse of what must happen in our lives if we are going to be able to lead and thrive in leading. In 2015, I published a book on leadership in a changing world. Since the book was published, I've been working at a large theological seminary, teaching leadership formation and serving as a senior administrator, working on changing theological education. Because of the book and my role, I have spoken about leading change to well over 100 different groups across the theological and church spectrum in the past five years. And I have heard comments like the senior pastors many times. Whether it was speaking to a group of United Church of Christ leaders in a Knights of Columbus Hall in St. Louis, a large group of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Christian educators in Phoenix, a select group of Episcopal priests in Manhattan, or Baptist pastors and lay leaders in Auckland, New Zealand, whether Methodists or Pentecostals, non-denominational leaders or seminary educators, over and over someone, usually the person in charge of training, education, or leadership development, would whisper to me, I don't think we have anyone who can actually do this. Indeed, one seminary president said to me, I don't think I can find anyone in the entire country to lead the kind of changes that you are talking about. The changes that I was describing call for adaptive leadership, and these leaders weren't talking about the specific skills I was teaching. They were speaking about the stamina, the strength of purpose, the perseverance necessary to lead a church, institution, or organization through deep organizational change. Why is this so difficult? Resistance. Internal resistance. Resistance is the key difference between management and leadership. Good management is usually met with a grateful response from those whom we manage. Leadership is often met with stubborn resistance from the very people we are called to lead. 
Management is about helping people get to where they want to go and accomplish what they want to accomplish. Management is about taking care of the most important assets, opportunities, resources, plans, and especially, as one of my colleagues often reminds us, of the people entrusted to our care. Management, biblically speaking, is called stewardship, and stewardship is about taking care of what is most valuable and accomplishing together what all of us most want to get done. Whenever I'm hiring a youth leader. I often joke that every parent actually wants a youth manager. If the youth leader takes ten kids to camp, they want all ten to be brought home safe and sound. As I tell my graduate students, the key word here is all. Bringing home ninety percent is not an A in this case. Humans are wired for stability and continuity. So we are deeply grateful for a good manager who keeps everything running well. But leading change is disruptive, and everything within us resists disruption. When we are faced with change, we need leaders who can stand it when we resist the very thing we want and need, even to the point where we will turn on them, oppose them, sabotage them. According to the late Edwin Friedman. One of the critical attributes of a leader who is going to bring about a renaissance or renewal of deep change is persistence in the face of resistance and downright rejection. Leadership, therefore, is always about the transformation and growth of a people, starting with the leader, to develop the resilience and adaptive capacity to wisely cut through resistance and accomplish the mission of the group. It requires learning. And results in loss, and even when we know what we are signing up for, we resist both the vulnerability of learning and the pain of loss. So to lead, especially in the face of resistance, requires that we develop resilience. Resilience is not about becoming smarter or tougher; it's about becoming stronger and more flexible. It's about becoming tempered. Which takes us back to the blacksmith's shop. Tempered. Let the word linger there for a moment. What comes to mind? Tempered glass. Tempered steel. To temper is an odd verb. It means both to make stronger and more flexible. Tempered steel is perfectly balanced at the midpoint between too soft to be useful as a tool and so brittle that the tool will break through hard use. To temper describes the process of heating, holding, hammering, cooling, and reheating that adds stress to raw iron until it becomes a glistening knife blade or chisel tip. It also describes the process by which blending the right ingredients of raw material brings about something greater than the sum of its parts. The Old King James Version of the Bible uses the word tempered. Exodus chapter thirty verse thirty-five, to describe the way an apothecary mixes herbs and spices into a fragrance that is both purer and holier than the original unblended ingredients. Similarly, the soul being shaped for the challenges of leading a people through their resistance needs both hardships and relationships, both hammer and anvil, both forge and pool. In this book. 
I want to talk about the processes and practices that develop tempered, resilient change leaders who will be able to avoid what Edwin Friedman calls a failure of nerve, as well as what I call a failure of heart. Tempering a leader is a process of reflection, relationships, and practices during the act of leading that form resilience to continue leading when the resistance is highest. It includes vulnerable self-reflection. The safety of relationships and specific spiritual practices and leadership skills in a rhythm of both work and rest. It is hard, formative work. Becoming Tempered One interesting concept in blacksmithing is how stress is added to steel to make it stronger. The stress of forging the tool and the stress of using the tool is the same. In this book, we will explore a process of leadership formation that occurs while leading. This process is like the way a chisel is forged and then resharpened and retempered over and over again to be a tool for transformation. Through the lenses of both spiritual formation texts from Christian theology and leadership development literature from business and organizational psychology, we will find that there is a remarkable overlap in how both ways of thinking understand leadership formation. When those concepts are brought together, the characteristics of transformational spiritual and organizational change leaders reveal a picture of attributes that make up a tempered, resilient leader, one that is grounded, teachable, attuned, adaptable, and tenacious. Becoming a Tempered Leader Working Leaders are formed in leading. Heating Strength is forged in self-reflection. Holding Vulnerable leadership requires relational security. Hammering Stress makes a leader. Hewing Resilience takes practice. Tempering. Resilience comes through a rhythm of leading and not leading. If the goal of being a tempered, resilient leader is to be strong and flexible enough to withstand both a failure of nerve and a failure of heart, then it is critical to understand that both failures are failures of identity, and that identity is both revealed and can be made resilient in the very act of leadership. Using the imagery of a blacksmith's shop and the stories of Moses leading the people of Israel centuries ago and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. leading the civil rights movement in the 1960s, we will explore the steps in a formational process as working, heating, holding, hammering, hewing, and tempering. Fire and anvil, spirit and community are necessary, but not alone. For the master artisan uses anvil and fire with the hammer of hard blows. Both crises we undergo and practices we undertake to shape, strengthen, smooth, and shine us into something both beautiful and useful. Without the spirit, the hammer of life's difficulties and tests would only scar and mar us. Without the anvil, the hammer would crush us to bits. But together, fire, Anvil and hammer, spirit, community, and hardship used by the master artisan 
forge us into something stronger and more flexible, more useful and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. This leads us to consider an inspiring moment and a transparent model of a resilient leader that we will return to repeatedly during this transformational journey. Tell them about the dream, Martin. It was August 28, 1963, and the mall in front of the Lincoln Memorial was filled with over 250,000 people. After a long afternoon of stirring speeches, Gospel singer Mahalia Jackson sang two spirituals that caused Roger Mudd of CBS to remark, All the speeches in the world couldn't have brought the response that just came from the hymn she sang. A rabbi spoke, and then Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. led into his prepared remarks. The words for this occasion had come slowly to the acknowledged leader of the Civil Rights Movement. Drawing from the deep wellspring of the struggle for black Americans to experience the justice and freedom proclaimed in their homeland, he and his confidants had worked late into the evening. This speech was not to be just the words of an eloquent preacher. It was a gift of the centuries-long black struggle. This moment was bringing attention to the blood, sacrifice, and courage of so many who had labored in the long fight for freedom for the African-American community. They knew that they would be speaking to a nationwide audience, and they also knew they would be speaking directly to people who had experienced firsthand beatings, jail, being attacked by dogs, and humiliated by neighbors. Dr. King and his companions had debated which themes to use in what was an allotted five minutes of speaking time. Dr. King himself had spent the night writing in longhand, and by 4 a.m. had put the finishing touches on a text that was meant to be both sobering and thoughtful, absent of inflammatory rhetoric, but sternly calling the nation to account for the ongoing denial of rights to so many of its citizens. Dr. King's speech began more scholarly than soaring, and when he stumbled on a line that he didn't think would work, he began to riff off script. It was just then that the preacher heard the gospel singer crying out from behind him, Tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. Dr. King's associate and speechwriter, Clarence B. Jones, who was seated nearby, heard Mahalia Jackson's words, and saw Dr. King glance at Jackson and put his notes aside. Jones said to the person sitting next to him, These people out there, they don't know it, but they are about ready to go to church. Dr. King launched into the words that have now become hallowed in our American history. I have a dream. Using the imagery of Isaiah, one section speaks to the task of bringing change in the face of immense even centuries-long resistance and the despair it can cause. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And immediately, Dr. King brings that vision down to the blood-stained soil of 1960s Alabama and Mississippi, 
and the daunting task ahead of him. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Notice the words hope, faith, transform, together, one day. But notice even more the imagery that sits in the middle of this stirring refrain. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. Hew. What does it take to become the kinds of leaders whose faith enables them to hew stones of hope out of mountains of despair? What is the process of tempering that produces a tool for hewing? That's what this book is about. Through the use of a blacksmithing metaphor and a deep dive into the leadership challenges of Moses and Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., we will discover together a process that enables leaders to become tools that God can use to transform resistance and despair into hope. We will learn together the way that the Spirit works to forge the character and the resilience necessary to become a chisel that can bring transformation right at the very crux of resistance. For me, it's also about the way that stones of hope become a way for God's sweeping, radical, landscape-changing, every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, culture-changing, the crooked places will be made straight, life-changing, all flesh, justice, to be made present in the world. One of my favorite images from the New Testament is the way that the church with Christ a living stone is being built, as living stones, into a dwelling place for God on earth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-7 through seven. We will focus on the hard, humbling work of being transformed from raw material into a chisel that can hew out of mountains of despair, stones of hope. We'll light the forge and rest on the anvil, and feel the pounding of the tools that are in the Spirit's hands. We'll enter into a process of transformation and take on the tempering that we need. We will see that when reflection and relationships are combined into a life of deliberate practice, the leader becomes miraculously stronger and more flexible, tougher and more agile, decisive and more discerning, wiser and happier, more content and even more restless for the cause, the organization, the community, the mission to which she has been called. The raw material becomes tempered. The man or woman becomes a leader. And, God helping us, the world is changed for the better. Okay, so takeaway and action item. If this is your first time listening, welcome. 
And this is a little bit different, but every episode I do a takeaway and action item and it hardly ever is just one for each category. Uh, but I usually do an interview and then takeaway action item and do the same thing here. So first the takeaways. Number one, we are called as leaders to hew stones of hope from a mountain of despair. Number two, the deliberate practice of reflection and relationship are needed to see the leader transformed. And then we can hew stones of hope from a mountain of despair. Action items. Number one, check out Todd's, Todd's book. The link will be in the show notes. Don't forget to scroll down and check that out along with other resources from him. Number two, surround yourself with relationships that will cause you to pause and reflect because you need reflection. Like we talked about number three, I guess I said two action items. I got three action items. Number three, keep going. Don't stop. The world needs leaders who serve passionately from a place of health with a resolute heart and unfailing nerve. So keep going. We're rooting for you. Now, if you want to encourage someone or get some encouragement yourself, this is just an idea, but you can email us at info at impactofleadership.com. So that's I-N-F-O at impactofleadership.com. You can give us the person's name, maybe your name, if you want a note, the address that you'd like that sent to for you or that person and any other pertinent information. And Patrick and I will send a note with some IOL swag. We're in this together. We want to encourage you and your friends and colleagues any way we can. So leverage us if we can lift somebody up. And if you thought of someone during this conversation, please send this episode to them with a note reminding them you've got their back. Now we have over 100 episodes, as I said in the intro, that will aid in your growth as a leader. Follow or subscribe in whatever platform you're using and you'll have access to all of them. And as a reminder, don't forget to check the show notes. There's good stuff down there. For example, we have had our first guest contributor, Ashley Binger. She was featured in her very first blog with us, and it was titled, The Importance of Knowing Yourself. Content abounds. Do not forget to check the show notes. Now, I cannot wait to be with you again soon, but until then, from all of us at the Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening.